And we're going to turn to John chapter 19 together. Do you ever feel like you want to just start singing with the guys? Singing like that? You're like, even if I can't sing, I just want to try. That, that looks fun. <laughs> it's a good song. <clears throat> All right, John 19. And, <clears throat> you know, we are, as the title of this slide shows, we are not necessarily speaking about a resurrection moment today. We're speaking about the seven statements of Jesus on the cross, and we're doing one at a time. And Jesus made seven statements that show, uh, give a little insight into his character, and, and they're instructive in how, even though they're short statements. The first statement that Jesus said when he, once he was up on the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's interesting. He wasn't asking for forgiveness for people who were just kind of rude and... Um, you know, so he's like, God, Father, forgive them. <clears throat> he was asking forgiveness for people who are extremely, uh, they're murderous. And, and it's not even just that he was asking forgiveness for people who are trying to murder him. He was asking forgiveness for people who are trying to murder him while he was actually doing something good for them. And so it was just an incredible act, an incredible statement of saying, forgive them, they know not what they're doing. And sometimes when people are mean to you or rude to you, sometimes they don't know what they're doing. And we need to adapt the mentality of Jesus. The second statement Jesus made on the cross um, was to a thief, one of the thieves next to him. And there was one who, they both reviled him at first. They both criticized him, though they were both crucified next to him. And they both said, if you're the uh, Messiah, uh, then save yourself and save us. And within a short time, one of the men, I don't know what side, let's just say this side, one of the men changed his mind, changed his heart. I think God had stirred him. And then he looked over at Jesus and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was, a, that was his way of expressing faith. And Jesus' next statement, the second statement, was verily, I say to you, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That was Jesus' second statement. His first statement was a prayer. His second statement is an answer to somebody's prayer. And <clears throat> the next thing we see is he's speaking to his mother. So let's look in John 19, and we'll read this passage. We'll read a little spot of it, not the whole thing. And I, um, have, I don't even know if I've done this one on Mother's Day. Sometimes this is preached on Mother's Day. <clears throat> but here we have the, the scene here is the cross. And um, they have put Jesus up. They've put a mocking statement above his head that says, uh, this is the king of the Jews. The soldiers are splitting up his garments. It looks like he has five pieces, uh, four different pieces. And then his fifth one was a highly coveted uh, seamless coat. And so they're dividing him up. And um, they care not, nothing for him. But then a few people are visiting there. And it says in verse 25 through verse 27, just those three verses we're going to read here who's visiting. John 19, 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. <clears throat> when Jesus therefore saw his mother 
and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, we thank you for your words. Even just a few verses are helpful to us, and we do want to be helped. Show yourself to us, Lord. Even in your weakness, there's much to learn. In your glory, there's much to learn. When we read the book of Revelation and other things showing your glory, we admire you. But even in your weakest point, we admire you. And we want to worship you, and even if it's in our thought, and as we think about who you are in this text, may we worship you and become more like you because we're worshiping you. And I pray that in Jesus' name, for his sake, amen. The scripture here, let's just look at it. We just read it. Let's not run away from it yet. Some people are there where Jesus is up on the cross. There's our statement there. And, you know, the Bible says actually in other gospels, it says many women came to that place. Women who followed him and ministered unto him. And then here this text says, it names three, his mother, Mary. Um, They think maybe Jesus' foster father, Joseph, had died by then. And then it says Mary's sister, Mary. It gets confusing. A lot of Marys in the Bible, right? So uh, I I don't really know which one this is. It just says it's a sister. Could have been sister-in-law. Could have been sister and for some reason, or it's the middle name. She's got a different name, it's middle name, and I don't know. Um, but they think this could have been um, actually Joseph's brother's wife, Joseph, the foster father. They think this, a lot of people think, well, this is actually another name for uh, Salami, not Salami, but Salome, um, who was, I believe, the mother of James and John. So if that's the case, then in the, they think this could have been this other Mary, uh, could have been like an auntie. Uh, to Jesus, which would make two of the disciples a cousin. We don't know. It doesn't spend a lot of time talking about it, but it's somebody obviously related to Mary. So you have two Marys. And then the third, you have three Marys. Then you have the third one, Mary Magdalene. So these three ladies in particular are, are singled out. There they are. Jesus is up on the cross, and he's suffering. He's dying. It's still daylight. It's going to get really dark, really dark soon in the middle of the day for three hours, from 12 o'clock, what we'd call 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. It's not yet. It's still light out. And Jesus is making his third statement. His mother's there, the other two Marys. And then nearby was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Who's that? John. John's so modest. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Didn't say his name. Maybe he just liked that part. He knew who he was. I'm the one that he loves. (laughs) So... John tended to be more cozy, sleep, not sleep, but he'd lean next to Jesus. When Jesus is talking, he tried to get up close. So John was the one, he was probably, he, we think he was the youngest. So John's there. Now these three ladies, they didn't have a fear apparently of coming, they came. The disciples some hours later, the night before, had scattered. It was predicted, they're going to all scatter. The shepherd is going to be smitten and the sheep are going to scatter. But one of them comes back, John, and he's there. He's at the cross. He's, he's at uh, Golgotha. He's at Calvary. 
So Jesus is up there on the cross. And again, we read this, but he looks at his mother. He knows John's there. He looks at his mother. He says, woman, behold thy son. I think he's saying, here is your son, referring to John. Behold thy son. She's already looking at this son. So she's saying, here is your son. Your son's right there. And then he looks at John. Didn't say John, but he says, behold thy mother. Simple statements. It's interesting. It's really highly, uh, it's in, it's, uh, highly instructive to me, this whole moment. Okay, This whole moment is, is, is very fascinating to me. And it goes beyond just the statement. I want to show you a little, there's just a little principle that we're going to think about in our time. The principle is this, and I'll just say it and then we'll show it, that I need to learn to do good by people even when life is not doing good by me. Jesus demonstrates a little principle here. Learn to do and speak good to people when life is not doing good to you. Yeah, you know, some of you, when you're, oh, none of us have been up on a cross, so let's see here. When we're, when we're grumpy, when we're suffering, which means we're two hours late on a meal, or something like that, maybe something more severe, are we like this? Are we like Christ? He's like, but Jesus was God. I know He was God. That's why He rose from the dead. But he's also a man. That's why he died. He's showing God and man both on the cross. The Bible says when Jesus was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he, 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 he uh, committed himself to uh, the Father, him that judges righteously. Jesus is up here on the cross, and when people come around, he's not lashing out. He's still treating people right. He's still speaking to people right. I don't do that. When I'm good, I'm good. When life is good, I'm good. I talk good. If I feel good, I'll be good to you. If I don't feel good, you're going to suffer from that. But I'm called, but that's not what I'm, that's my natural flesh, right? Again, the Bible says, take up our cross and follow him. So there's an element of everything that's happening, this whole scene of Jesus, everything that's happening, we're to take on that mindset, take on that same spirit. We're seeing a moment here where there's a transition of Jesus' relationship with his mother. Let's think about Mary for a little bit. Well, and, we'll, and I'll bring out some particular points here in a minute. Let's think about Mary. Let's go back kind of in time. So she was what? Delightfully, surprisingly visited by Gabriel. Right? While she was in Nazareth. And Gabriel came to her and said, I got an announcement for you. Woo! Find out she's going to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. Whoa, whence is this to me? You know, I, I'm privileged. I, I'm, I've found favor in the Lord's sight. And so she finds that out, and then they get traveling around a little bit. Joseph and Mary, they're engaged. 
They go south. They, go, they have to go down. They got to pay. It's tax season. It's tax season for us, right? It's tax season. It was tax season. They got to try. Oh, we got to go to the hometown, huh? Yeah, Joseph was from uh, Bethlehem. So I had to go south, go to Bethlehem. Man, everybody's traveling. People are, hotels are taken up and stuff. It's like having the Super Bowl in Phoenix, and all the hotels are taken up, and the ones that are open, it's a ripoff. They're traveling, they're going south. All right, so she's pregnant, she's great with child. They're traveling, walking her on a donkey or whatever, and they find a place, and you know the story, the Christmas story. No room in the inn. We got a manger over here. So she goes, and she gives birth in the manger. And then the angels... Uh, the angels reveal themselves to the shepherds. The shepherds visit a couple years later. Some wise men, two years or less, wise men visit. <laughs> After she gives birth to Jesus. Now, here's some bonding here. The mother gives birth. She's a virgin giving birth. She was the vehicle by which the Son of God came into the world. She didn't create him in that sense. His body was created in her womb, and his person has always been. He's eternal. But anyway, she gives birth. She gives birth to Jesus, the Son of God. And, and she um, then some 40, I think 40, 50 days later, she has to show up at the temple for a ceremony. There were some prescribed things that people had to do when they, women had to do when they gave birth. Uh, if you gave birth to a firstborn, there was a certain ceremony you had to do if it was your firstborn and an offering and all that. And, and then for you as a woman even, if you gave birth, you couldn't go to the temple until 40, 50 days later and there was this rigmarole of offering because of your cleansing and all this stuff. She had to do it. She was doing what God said. Shows up at the temple 40, 50 days later, goes there. It says in Luke chapter 2. And people, uh, you know... Uh, there was a couple people that were happy about that, that were actually expecting it. Simeon, an older man named Simeon in Luke chapter 2. Somehow, one day God told Simeon, you know what? You're going to see the Messiah before you die. Did God just tell me? He said, the Bible says somehow it revealed, God revealed to him, he's going to see Messiah. So he's getting older and older. Next thing you know, one day God says, go to the temple, he's coming. So he goes to the temple. He doesn't know what's going on. Jesus' birth, I don't think, was in the Jerusalem Post. He goes to the temple, and sure enough, here comes this lady and her husband and doing their thing with the offering, and then he's like, I know who you are, and he meets Jesus, and he takes Jesus up in his arms, and he's all happy, and he rejoices, now you can let me die, Lord, I saw him, I've seen your salvation, and he, he's all happy, then he looks over at Mary and Joseph and blesses them, and, and I'm paraphrasing some of what he says, but he says, this child is is what's prophesied in Isaiah. He's the light to lighten the Gentiles and to direct us as Israel. This is the one. And by the way, he is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. He was saying this child's also very controversial. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. And they're like, what? He's saying that there's a sword that's going to pierce him and there's something that's going to pierce the soul of the mother. I'm sure she kept tucked that away in her mind. So in any, nevertheless, his life went on. At age 12, we see a little incident of them going to visit in Jerusalem. And the mom and dad travel with an entourage to Jerusalem. They travel back home in an entourage on their way back. They thought Jesus was in the, fam the family crowd, and he wasn't. He was back there uh, having a... Um, in the theological think tank with the scribes and big shots around the temple. 
And when they, mom, mom and dad finally travel back, where's our lost son? They see him there in the midst of the doctors asking questions and answering questions. And the older men were all amazed at him. And son, why have you done this to us? You've left us sorrowing. And she says, uh, no, she says, your father and I, referring to the foster father, have sought you sorrowing. Because don't you know I would be about my father's business? Referring to this father. He was already coming to understand who he was. By the way, guys, 12-year-old boys, I don't think there's anything magical here. I'm not going to make a hard doctrine. But I think when you're 12, you should say, hey, wait a minute. Do I know God? Am I saved? Jesus was well aware of his relationship with the Father by age 12. So anyways, they pondered those things in their heart, and life went on some between age 12 and 30. We don't know much except he was from Nazareth, and he worked for his foster father, who was a carpenter, who Jesus was also called a carpenter, from age 12 to 30. Probably stayed in a, pretty local because the locals knew about him. And so northern Israel in Nazareth, not a scrubby town, what they would say. And so after, as time passed, Jesus comes at age 30. Of course, somebody, a cousin, second cousin, had been preaching this stuff that the Lamb of God, the Messiah is going to come forth and, and baptizing people. And Jesus shows up on the scene fulfilling that message. Jesus was baptized and, and out of heaven came a voice that said, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved son. It's not merely the son of Mary and Joseph. This is my beloved son. And from that moment forward, for three years, Jesus had a public ministry. And so Mary had attached herself to her son, just like any other mother, right? And now she's starting to going to see some controversy. From age 30 to age 33, it's controversy for all the life of Christ. You'd have people follow him, big crowds, and then they'd shrink down again because they'd get offended at his preaching. And then he'd, then he'd have a bunch of people eyeballing him like scribes and Pharisees, and he would say something to try to teach them. And they'd get offended and threaten his life, call him that, saying he's an illegitimate son, call him all kinds of bad names, say he has a devil. And I wonder if mom heard about that. That probably bothered her. Don't you be saying bad stuff about my son. Have you ever seen that? You know, watch out. Sometimes moms that get over aggressive, they might jump into the boxing ring and intervene on their son getting boxed, you know. That's happened before. Anyways, I, mean, I don't know, Mary, but, but just trying to relate with some emotions here. And so her son is, is a controversial people, um, a person. People are rising that were down, and people that were up were falling. And now, the week of the, resurre- the, week of the crucifixion, he's, he's the mixed emotions there. Some people recognize him. By the end of the week, most people are putting him down and he's forsaken and he's given over to, betrayed to the Jews and arrested and, you know, <clears throat> on this night after the Lord's table and, and all through the night doesn't get any sleep. He's passed around from Pilate to Herod to Pilate to the scribe and they harass him and beat him and, and all that stuff. Man, he hadn't had a lot of sleep. That's hard to even think clearly if I don't have a lot of sleep. And had a lot of sleep. In fact, if you examine the Gospels, the days before, he crammed in a ton of teaching the week of his crucifixion, a lots of it. Like a lot of the red you see in the book of John is him teaching, 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 and in Matthew 24, 25. But here he is. He's now the early hours of the, of the I believe, it was probably uh, uh, a Wednesday or a Thursday, not a Friday. And, um, and he, here he is being apprehended, and, and he's... 
taken and he's crucified by what we would call like 9 o'clock that morning. And so makes a statement, Father, forgive them. Answers the prayer of the man perhaps on his left. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And then mom comes and now mom is there with two others and then John. And I'm sure by that point a sword is pierced through her heart. A sword is pierced through her soul. But Jesus, in his day of adversity, he's still good. I want you to look at a couple, I want to look at a couple observations of this moment. He's good even when he's under adversity. Oh, wait, wait, think about this. Okay, I was thinking about this this morning. What do we say? And this is a good statement. What do we say? God is good. What do we say? All the time. We say that, right? Why do we say that? Because when life stinks, we're all, then we say, well, you know, but God is good all the time. And that's a good thing to say. He's good all the time. When it's not good for me, God is good all the time. I know I have a good person that loves me and I'm related to. And here we see God is good all the time when it's not good for Him. He's still good to others. Let's look at three qualities of His goodness here, even in His adversity. He's thoughtful. Again, a lot of it centers around His mother. We're going to see He's thoughtful, He's lawful, and He's faithful. He's thoughtful. Notice there, he's suffering, on the, he's suffering. He's hung up on the cross. His, and yet, when he's up on the cross, his mind is still what? On others. I don't know about you, but here's what I'd be doing. Besides gasping for air. Can somebody scratch my nose? I, you know, that's what you get. He can't touch anything, you know. Jesus is suffering, but he's thoughtful. He's thinking on others. Who is he thinking about? Right when he's up on the cross, he's thinking, this crowd is in trouble. Father, forgive them. Give them a little slack on this one. We'd like to see some of them say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And many in that crowd, over the next couple months, you just follow the book of Acts, got saved. He's thinking of them when he's suffering at their hands. He's thinking of others when he's suffering. Boy. He's thoughtful. His mind is on the crowd. His mind is on the thief. Again, the thief speaks to him. And again, at first, both thieves were reviling him. So then, therefore, when the thief speaks back to him, Lord, remember me when you come into the kingdom. Jesus didn't say, whatever, loser. He didn't say that. He's thinking, he's thinking that guy's softened. Let's deal with this. Today you'll be with me in paradise. His mind is on the crowd. He's thinking of others. His mind is on the thief when the thief calls out to him. And then his mother shows up. And he's thinking, we've got to do something here. Mom, look, sometimes it's, now, and this may not be true for every mother, and maybe some of you would say differently. But when a mom sees their child suffering, it's hard. Now, some of the dads might be like, ah, it'll be fine. Get up, boy, you know. Dads might be like that. There's a kind of a general rule. Moms, I can help them, you know. 
Even when they get older, sometimes the moms get that way. Like I told you, I've seen there's women who've jumped right in that boxing ring trying to intervene for their son. You know, there's this nature going, ah, I've got to help, you know. And so Jesus is up on the cross. His mother's already seen her son suffer. And Jesus is thoughtful in this moment and how he speaks to her. He's up on the cross. Think about what he says. Think about how he, even in his short words, he doesn't say, Mommy! <laughs> Mommy! You know, or Mom, or some term of endearment. He says, Woman. Now, that might sound rude to you. It's not. It was a, it was a common term. It would be like saying, Ma'am. He said woman a couple other times in, when she would come visit him. He says, woman, ma'am, there's your son. By saying that, he knows she's already in anguish. Why add to it? Mom. Oh. Huh? That's what moms would do. Mom. No, he, he hel he's helping her. Woman. Look at your son. Aren't you glad Jesus is thoughtful? When he's suffering, he's thoughtful. Ah, oh, I got to get there, don't I? When I'm suffering, I don't care about you. Get on my face. You know? But I'm called to the Christ life. I'm called to be like Jesus. Just because I don't feel good doesn't mean I need to be bad to you. Jesus is thoughtful in, in, in this moment. He, um, I remember sometimes visiting Brother Bob Devon's in the care home, I think, still. Is that right? Is he still there today? They went back. Okay. He's been going back and forth, having some issues. So I visited him, and what I'm about to tell you has happened. I visited other people. Sometimes I'll visit somebody in the hospital. They're suffering. They're dealing with something. And I go to visit them, and they tell me their stuff. And then you know what they do? Well, but, but how are you doing? They say to me, thinking about me. And they're like, uh, okay, you know, maybe say something, you know. And I'm thinking, well, they're thinking of the other person. They're being thoughtful in their suffering. That's a good thing to do, right? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't care for it. You have to care for yourself. If you don't care for yourself, you're not going to live long, and nobody will be, get a benefit out of you. <laughs> and you won't, you know, we do have, there's such a thing as self-care, not to deny that. That's an extreme that even the Bible is against. Uh, of not having self-care. But Jesus is thoughtful. He's thoughtful in how he speaks to the crowd, to the thief, to his mother. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So that's how he handles his mother. He's thoughtful. And how he handles John is thoughtful. How he handles John. So he's up there on the cross. Woman, behold thy son. Son. Behold thy mother. There's your mother. It's interesting. What's happening here? Jesus, did you know Jesus was the oldest of like around six or seven kids? Did you know that in this family? Mary had a lot of kids. So there was other siblings for Mary's sake. There was, I think, four, three or four brothers, a few sisters, at least two sisters. It says, are not all his sisters here? That would probably be three or more, all. 
So he had a big family, had a lot of siblings. But the mother was there, and he's trying to say some things to arrange for her care. He doesn't pick the brothers for whatever reason, possibly because in John it tells us later, even later in his ministry, his brethren were like, whatever. They didn't even believe on him. Now, some of them do afterwards. In the book of Acts, some of them believe. But at this point, Mary doesn't seem like she had her sons on board with the oldest son, the Messiah son. So he picks John to take care of Mary, take care of her from now on. Um, John, who's John? Uh, John's going to live longer. He's got some, we got, we got a low mileage son here for you. It's going to go a long ways, you know. So Jesus is thoughtful in picking out John. He's thoughtful in picking out John because maybe his brothers weren't ready for this scenario. He's thoughtful in picking out John. John's going to live longer. He's thoughtful in picking out John because <laughs> John showed up. Sometimes show up to what God's calling you to do and you'll have God's blessing. Showing up is half the issue in life sometimes. John shows up, behold thy mother. What a privilege. Take care of the mother of the Lord. Picks John. He's thoughtful. Am I thoughtful when I am dealing with my own issue? Am I thoughtful for others? Am I thoughtful when I'm suffering? I need, whatever it is, I need to learn to be good when life isn't good. That's the main principle. So we see that in Jesus' treatment of his mother and of John. He's thoughtful. The second thing we see is he's lawful. He's thoughtful. He's doing things law. He's not breaking the law. I don't know about you, but when I don't feel good, I want to break the law. Like kill somebody. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. You know what I mean? You feel like, I don't care what restrictions they say. I don't feel. When we're not feeling well, when we're suffering, we sometimes don't care about laws and morals. When Jesus is suffering, he's still lawful. It's in a smaller scale, but he's saying, I am, the law commanded him to take care of his mother, to honor the mother. He's, he arranges to honor his mother, even on his deathbed. Son, here's your mother. Take care of her from here on out. Honor thy father and thy mother, says the law. Honor thy father and mother. Not only that, there was some things in, in the book of 1 Timothy about widows. 1 Timothy 5, 2 to 4 and verse 8. Honor widows that are widows indeed. If any man that believeth have widows, uh, you know, he needs to take care for her. If she have nephews or whatever, they need to learn to help her and show piety at home. This is good and acceptable with God. If any man provide not for his own, he had denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. The Bible puts a premium on a person taking care, honoring their parents Honoring their mother, in particular, if their mother's a widow, to help them through that. Jesus was already seeing this. She's going to be going through widowhood here. Uh, she already, I'm sorry, she already is a widow, likely, because of Joseph. But she's going to be bereaving on top of that his death. So let's get some... She's going to feel times where she's alone. She's going to feel times where she can't call him to help. So, John, let's be there. Isn't that good? It's, it's, it's thoughtful. It's also lawful. He's making arrangements for her care. By the way, Jesus came to fulfill the law. Matthew 5, 17. He says, Think not that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I didn't come to destroy. I came to fulfill. So the law is pretty strict, and it's pretty high. It is holy. And Jesus says, I'm not going to pull it down. I'm going to go up of it. I'm going to fulfill it. 
and he's fulfilling the law by taking care of his mother. He would consider how she would be and how she'd feel, and so he took care of her. That's, his, well, that's a quality in his, in his, in his grief, in his, when life isn't good, when things aren't going good, he's still thoughtful. He's good in that he's still thoughtful. He's good in that he's still lawful. And then last of all, he's good in that he's faithful. Jesus is faithful. Up on the cross, and not just this moment, beyond this moment, up on the cross, nothing was denied of what Jesus taught. Nothing was uh, undermined or contradicted. Jesus was still true to his message. So think about this. Think about some of the things that Jesus said in his lifetime. Um, He taught a lot of different things, didn't he? Jesus taught about heaven. He taught about hell. He taught about um, people who believe on him suffering uh, for his name's sake. He taught about um, the fact that he was going to go to the cross and he was going to rise from the dead. He taught about the fact that uh, a whole bunch of stuff. He actually rebuked Pharisees and Sadducees, Pharisees and scribes, because they didn't honor their parents. Instead, they thought if we're extra religious and we give extra things to the temple, that gets us out of honoring our parents. He taught, and yet when he comes to the cross and he's up on the cross and it hurts and he's suffering, nothing gets contradicted. His message, he was consistent. This is one of the things I'm saying. If you see all these statements on the cross, his message is consistent. He gets to the end of his life. He's up on the cross. All the statements, we don't have them up on there. But he's consistent right through death, showing he is very consistent. He's faithful. Some people deny stuff when it comes to death. Or when they're in pain, all of a sudden they change their mind about how they felt about this or that. You and I, this is put to you this way. Um, So here's the Bible. There'll come a time that it's already, it feels like it's creeping up. Well, people are going to want to fire you because of this. Sue you or us because of this. It's nice to believe it now. Yeah, but you the Bible. Yeah. Do you really? I mean, when, it comes, when pain comes, am I still going to believe the Bible? There's going to come a time where it's like, pain's going to come. Do I still believe this? You believe on Jesus? You narrow-minded bigot. You know, am I really going to believe on Jesus when I'm going to be called those names? Am I going to be consistent? Is, in other words, right now, do I, am I really sincere in trusting Jesus as my Savior this day? Have I really trusted him as my savior? Or is it just kind of a light, cool, cultural thing? If it's just a light, cultural thing, it's going to fizzle because culture is coming against it. But if I really say, I believe Jesus, I'm trusting him, I'm attached to him, then that will stay. That'll be true. That roots down. Jesus, I'm showing him as an example, he taught some outrageous things. And once he got into pain and once he got whipped and suffered, didn't deny anything. All the way through the cross, he's consistent. Uh, To the cross, on the cross, through the cross, he's consistent. These seven sayings show that he's consistent. Pain, here's the thing, pain didn't alter his doctrine. Pain didn't alter his doctrine. And it shows, as we start to wind this down, that we we can have utmost confidence in him as our Savior. 
We can have utmost confidence in Him. Of course, also because three days, three solar days later, He rose from the dead and it justifies our faith in Him. So what am I like when it's not good? What am I like? By God's grace, I need to be good to people when life isn't good to me. Such is our Savior, such as should be His followers. But we can't even do that until we first put our genuine, sincere faith in Him. He came to demonstrate He's trustworthy so you can put your faith in Him. It's like somebody gets a car and you kind of, you're like, I'm not sure about that car. So maybe they test drive it or you test drive it. You're like, okay, I can trust this. Jesus came and His life was examined by enemies and friends and recorded. And his teaching was outrageous, but he died on a cross and came back. He came to prove that you can trust him. So that when we trust him, we'll have the same outcome in our life. When you die, your soul goes to heaven and God gives you a resurrected body one day. And if you don't trust him, our soul would go to hell and we'll still get a resurrected body, but go back into hell one day. That's what the Bible teaches. I want to be on the life side. Are you?